like Pastor Amy said this week, she did share about this big story of God. And that is really what we're going to be talking about this morning. And this is the story that she told them. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on earth and under the sea. He wrote the message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. Like a kitten chases her tail or the way the red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims, and God put it into words too. And he wrote it in a book called The Bible the story that our children have heard this week. God's story calling to us from the beginning of time. God's story, the story of God's good intentions for his creation, his loving purposes, his never-ending kindness, his unfailing love toward all he has made. That is the story of God from start to finish. But we don't always see the Bible that way, do we? Sometimes we look at the Bible like a book of rules, like Pastor Amy said, the do's and the don'ts of living. Or as adults, we grow out of such infantile, concrete thinking, right? And we begin to see the Bible instead as a list of unshakable, uncompromising truths to be dispensed as needed. Standalone truths floating free of context and time. And while the Bible does have some rules in it, and it does show us how life works best, and without a doubt, it does tell us the story of truth, The Bible isn't actually about you or what you should be doing. It's about God and what God has done. As our students heard this week, the Bible isn't a book of rules or, for us mature adults, a truth pile stacked up neatly like a stack of books on a shelf. It is most of all a story, the story of God. It's an adventure story of a young hero who went from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story of a young prince who leaves his palace to find the one he loves. It is the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. How different How different would our faith journey be? How different would our relationship with God be if we began to see the account of God's great rescue of humankind in this way? Not as a list of to-dos and to-don'ts, not a reservoir of truth bullets to fire at our enemies in a pinch, not a history of uh, anything and everything that we think to ask of it, but instead as a love story as a rescue adventure of a God who is unwilling to abandon his good creation, unwilling to let it go its own way to death and destruction. And for me, that perspective is changing everything. Well, this summer, we are going to embark on a journey, a journey into the story of God, and we're going to experience the text, the Bible, as a story, not merely as a moral compass, although the text does reveal God's way of living, and not merely as an explanation of human history, although we will read about real historical people, we are going to experience the story as God's continual pursuit of creation in spite of our rebellion. God's persistent commitment to making a people for himself in the face of our disobedience. And so we're going to hear the story of the beginning of God's good world come into existence. We will hear the story of the promise of Abraham, God's commitment to shine that salvation light 
into all the world. We will hear stories of rebellion and redemption, of deceit and confession, of estrangement and reconciliation. And the question that we have to ask every single week, and you'll have to help me, we ask the story of God is what is the gospel? What is the good news declared in this text? What was the good news for the people of God both way back then, but also for us today? This is what God did in the pages of scripture. Can he and will he do it again? So that being said, let us open with a word of prayer and then we will begin the story. God in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit, would you open your word for us today? May this story of love and rescue become real food for our souls. Amen. Well, good stories have good beginnings, and the story of God is no different. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And so God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let there be waters under the sky, be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered, he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plant yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living thing that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind 
in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and all the fishermen said amen, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the face of the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, like many of you, I don't remember a time in my life where I did not know this story, right? From a very early age, this story was worked into my person, okay? It was worked into my worldview, into my understanding of how and why things are, why they exist, right? But particularly, but as I got older, particularly like my teenage years, how this story functioned in my life began to change, it went from being this beautiful, uh, imaginative, playful account of God, like, making trees and animals and all this cool stuff, his loving power and his creative goodness. It was transformed into, like, this weapon that I was instructed to wield to take down any pagan enemies that I might encounter in my biology class, right? Even utter the E word in my presence, and I was going to be ready, evolution, if you didn't catch that. Um, I was ready to whip out my pocket copy of Genesis faster than any Oakley at a gun show, right? And I would bring them to task with my knowledge of scripture. My church even hosted a special seminar where we learned all about sediments and dirt in rocks, and we were told that by cross-referencing certain rock formations and passages about the great flood with Noah, we could prove to anyone on the street beyond a shadow of a doubt that the earth was such and such years old and that the biblical account of creation was actually a scientific document. So watch out, freshman biology. Here I come with my dirt and my sediments data. I am out for your soul, right? Because such encounters always leave pagans clamoring for Jesus, right? You had me at the shale layering. My heart was strangely warmed by the sediments. That has not been my experience, to say the least. And as I have journeyed with God, as I have immersed myself in the story of God, I've become increasingly uncomfortable with this whole thing. Not because I don't believe that God did create the world. Don't even start that. God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, created.
created the world. I believe it. But I have been increasingly uncomfortable with this way we tell this story because all of a sudden, I am somehow less concerned with the how, the ins and the outs, the length of a day, and where the dinosaurs fit into this whole thing, and more concerned with the who and the why. I'm more concerned about what the creation story reveals about the character of God and his good intentions for creation than I am about dirt layers and rocks. And I've come to believe that this beautiful beginning of God's salvation account is less uh, a step-by-step description of how it went down, recorded to give us ammo with which to bully unbelievers into belief with our logic about dirt, and more of a faith document, a declaration about who God is and what God is up to in the world. The how seems to pale in comparison and in importance next to the who and the why. Well, this creation account preserved for us from Scripture, um, contrary to popular beliefs, was not dropped out of heaven like a heavenly raindrop, nor was it delivered by a holy stork on a mission from on high. No, it was written during a specific time to a specific people to address a specific problem. And it has something to say to us here and now. Israel, the people of God, had done messed up again. And this time, it was bad. They were sent off into exile. They were kicked out of their land. The temple was destroyed. They were captives in a land not their own, surrounded by foreign people, foreign languages, foreign customs, culture, and foreign gods. They were surrounded by liturgies, by practices and customs that were contrary to the way of life that they had been given by God. Now, you and I have talked about what happens when you are immersed in liturgies and practices and narratives contrary to our faith and faith practices. Do you remember my obsession with expensive patio furniture? Remember? This is me resisting temptation in Target on Friday, right? I will not buy this $500 outdoor couch, right? Because the liturgy of culture tries to sell us stuff that can't be sold in the form of products, right? Like community and peace and rest and joy and happiness. They, that stuff isn't for sale, right? But that doesn't stop them from trying. And so when we're immersed in different stories and liturgies and practices around us that are counter to our faith, things happen, right? We begin to lose sight of who we are of whose we are and what we're to be about. That's why it is so much easier to be faithful to God and to who God has called you to be at teen camp than it is at band camp or football camp or whatever camp you choose to attend, right? There are different stories and different practices and different value systems at play, different communities, different uh, values telling us what is the most important thing, right? And so such was the experience of God's people. They were immersed in the stories and the practices of Babylon, one of which was the Babylonian understanding of creation, how things came to be. And the people of God began to lose their moorings. Like, here we are, trapped in this foreign land. I mean, who are we anymore? Who is this God? Has he, like, abandoned us here? Are the gods of Babylon, of the Babylonians, are they more powerful? Like, are we on the losing team do we need to switch jerseys? 
right? Because they were immersed in these stories that were counter to the story of God. And I'll have to tell you, the Babylonian story of creation is probably the weirdest, grossest, most gruesome story I have ever had the misfortune of reading, right? Let's just say it is a good thing the children are not with us today as I break it down. I'm not going to give you the details because it's gross. Um, There are these gods, and they're in heaven, and there's this weird divine sexual act, and whoa, all of a sudden, there's some creation, and you're like, that was awkward. And baby gods start to emerge, and there's jealousy that for It's all downhill from there, folks. The gods start fighting and bickering, and like the daddy god gets really grumpy because the baby gods are being loud and getting on his nerves. I kid you not, that is in their creation story. It's fairly relatively realistic, I think, if you think about it. Um, so there's jealousy, and there's fighting, and there's feuding, and there's violence between these gods. And ultimately, the mother god is murdered by this up-and-coming god named Marduk. And he, like, slaughters her, and he cuts her body into pieces. And from her abdomen becomes the sky, and from her limbs becomes the ground. It is gross, Okay. And so you see that humankind is created to be slaves to these divine monstrosities, right? You will honor and you will worship and you will serve us or no rain for you. That's how it works, right? And so this story is riddled with chaos and with violence. And it is basically the worst of humankind played out on the divine stage, okay? Anger and rage and jealousy, violence selfishness, pride, and destruction. And it is to the people of God, the people in exile, hearing this gruesome tale of creation, that our biblical account of creation is written. They are isolated. They are confused. They are doubting. They are wondering if this God in which they have placed their trust is really all that trustworthy, wondering if he is really all that powerful after all. And so it is to these lost and hurting people that these precious words are written. In the beginning, God. Not Marduk, not Tiamat or any of the abusive, jealous, power-hungry, human-abusing God of their creators. In the beginning, God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, created the heavens and the earth. This declaration is not a scientific play-by-play or a finely crafted apologetics weapon with which to bring down your pagan neighbors. No, it is a faith declaration. It is a proclamation. It is a theological statement. Our God reigns, and he is Lord of all creation. And unlike those gods of Babylon that leave a wake of chaos behind them, God does the opposite, kind of like we talked about last week, right? Where God makes something out of nothing. He makes order out of chaos. So where there is these dark, swirling, chaotic waters, God breathes out his spirit and brings forth order, life. Where there was only vast nothingness, God fills with the everything. 
this creation account is a bold, like, confrontation against the false narratives and the practices of Babylon, of those rebelling against God. It is a bold confrontation against these false gods that are seeking to serve themselves and wreak havoc on a world, even as they create it. It is a refutation of the narratives of violence and destruction, of chaos and disorder. It is a bold no in the face of despair, a no in the face of loss and confusion and doubt, and instead a a courageous yes to trusting this sovereign God who acts from the goodness within God's self to bring about the goodness of creation. That is why I am less concerned about the length of days and the dinosaur questions and the sediment layers because that's not the question this text is answering. It's answering the question, does God reign? Is God good? Is God for me? Is God for creation? Can God be trusted? And the text says, yes. Yes. God answers this question, not with a biology lesson, but with a story, this account of creation. God answers yes by by claiming the chaos, not letting it wreak havoc. He claims the chaos, he calms it, and he orders it rightly, bringing forth life from that which was barren and dark and void. God answers, yes, I am sovereign. Yes, I am good. Yes, I am for you. I am for creation. I can be trusted by extending a call to us, a vocation, a people to be with a job to do. I like how the message says it. He says it like this. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature He created the male and female. God blessed them. He said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and for every living thing. We are created God-like, partners with God in creation to sustain it, to create, to care for, to lead creation alongside God. It is a call, not just a list of stuff to do, but a call to be a certain kind of creature, a creature that is utterly his, loved and cherished, devoted to the kind king creator, partners with God in his good work in the world, a call to be his. And so this love story of God, this adventure tale of rescue of God come down to save us, his beloved creation, starts with a declaration, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and it was good, it was oh so good. God, the creator, is sovereign. God, the creator, is good, and he is persistently for us. God, the creator, is trustworthy, and we are made to be a part of that good creation, partners with God in the work of redemption. And it is good news. It was good news for those people trapped in Babylon, and it is good news for us today. It is good news that the God 
is our good and sovereign creator, and thereby there is no need to fear. No need to fear the evil behind us or in front of us or around us or even within us because God is sovereign even over the chaos. God is trustworthy to claim that chaos, to calm it, and to reorder it rightly. How often, how often do I so arrogantly think that the chaos in my life is just beyond God's control? Like this chaos I got going on, it's just too bad. It's just too chaotic. The nothingness is too deep for God to act. Have you been there? And yet, this creation story tells us. It cuts my arrogant legs out from underneath me because no chaos is too great. No nothingness is too vast. No pain too deep that God cannot restore and order it rightly once again. Creation has declared it to be so, and we can trust it. It is is good news, is it not? That God, the good and sovereign creator, has thereby given us a vocation, a sacred call upon our lives to be his and to join him in his creative acts of working out redemption on earth as it is in heaven. And one one preacher put it this way, it is the destiny of human creation to live in God's world with God's other creatures on God's terms. And God's terms are thus. Live as my image bearers in the world. When people look at you, I want them to see me. Historically, when a king or a Caesar or an emperor or whatever would take over a new part of the world, they had to prove and show, I'm the boss. I'm the guy, right? And so often what they would do was they would erect statues everywhere, okay? Their image would be on everything, on the money, on the buildings, statues erected everywhere. Just to say, in case you forgot, I'm in charge. I am the king. You serve me. Got it? And so their image would be everywhere. And in a similar way, God, the king of the universe, has done the same thing, except Instead of statues or images on money or big buildings, God has stamped his very image on us, humankind. And we who walk with God, who are being restored in the image of God through the restorative and healing and forgiving work of God are called to bear that image to a broken and hurting world. Images of the king set to walk in in the world, signs of God's reign come down our vocation. And that is good news. The creation story is good news. And it is good news beyond your biology class. It is good news beyond evolution debates about dinosaurs and dirt layers. It is good news because it declares to us the character of God. He is good. He is faithful. He is persistently for us in every way. He is mighty to save. He is able to claim and calm and reorder the chaos in our world and in us. It is good news because the story of creation declares a name over us, and that name is Beloved. 
and it shapes us and calls us to our vocation, partner, steward, and image bearer to the world. Thus begins the story of God, the great love saga of a king in pursuit of his wayward beloved, the great adventure of a prince sent to rescue the one he loves. It is a story that will, time and again, declare to us the faithful, persistent love of God. It is a story that will highlight our rebellion, our resistance to God's goodness, and yet God's stubborn refusal to give us up, God's deep resolve to shape us into who we were made to be. Thanks be to God. Father God, we thank you for this creation story, for this beautiful account of your power at work to create a place, to create a people. And so, Lord, we recognize and acknowledge you today as Lord of all creation. Lord, we declare that you are good, you are sovereign, and you are trustworthy. And we recognize that you have chosen us as your special people to be on mission with you in the world, to create, to sustain, to, lo- to lead, and to guide. Lord, you have given us a vocation, a call to be utterly yours, partners with you in your work of redemption and reconciliation all around us, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our work, in our schools. Lord, you have put us to work for the good, alongside you in creation. And so may we embrace our role as your image bearers. When the world looks at us, may they see you. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, Christ Church, may you go from this place and be utterly his, trusting that the God of creation can calm your chaos. Go in action and go in peace. Amen. We are dismissed.